All right, welcome back, everybody, to Spicy PL Pod. This is episode 16. Uh, we've got Big Joe Cap here. We've got Big Peachy Boy and myself. And we've got a very special guest, Mr. Carl Yingbar Christensen. Yeah, so um, we're uh, really excited today to have Carl Yingbar on. Um, consider him a personal friend. We lifted uh, against each other a lot in the... Uh, you know, a few years ago, up to five years ago. But for any of you who don't know Carl, and I'm assuming you do if you listen to our podcast, he's a 2011 IPF Junior World Champion. Uh, he's a 2014 IPF Open World Champion, um, former Open World Record holder in the squat and total, and um, current World Record holder in the juniors for squat and total. And I don't believe that that will ever be broken. So a 475 kilo squat. Um, as a junior, and uh, yeah, I don't know. One of the brightest Pretty, talents to ever I think, grace the platform. Yeah, one of the best, and I think one of the 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 most popular powerlifters in the world for a three year run, where uh, people just recognize that Carl probably had the most potential ever for a powerlifter uh, as far as lifting the heaviest weights ever. First man to total twelve hundred kilos, and uh, so that's a big one, and no one can ever be the first man to total twelve hundred kilos again. So. That's uh, Carl's accolades. How you doing, Carl? Hello, fine, thank you. I'm fine, and uh, thank you for having me on the podcast. I've listened to all your uh, epi- episodes before, and I really like your podcast. So I'm uh, I, uh, I'm <laughs> glad to be here. Yeah. That's great news. That's great news because we wanted to start off with some segments we usually do, and we usually like to ask. And so we're gonna jump right into it. You know, no warm ups. Um, we want to do who's hotter. <laughs> Who's, whose piss is burning through the cup? This is just to warm you up a little bit for the stupid questions we have. Um, but uh, a guy that you know very well, Victor Testov or Yuri Belkin? Uh, well, uh, they are both uh, proven to be hot tests. They both failed the tests. Uh, but... Uh, I think uh, in terms of uh, milligrams of, of uh, what the, whatever they used, I, I would say probably Yuri. Yuri, um, yeah. Uh, that's my guess, but um, yeah. yeah. No, that's fair. I think the Ukrainians are a little bit more sly about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then one we have to ask everybody, and I don't know if you're a fan of multiply lifting or you paid attention, but you have to know these two guys. Uh, David Hoff or Eric Lillibridge? Uh, I, I know both of them. Uh, Dave, uh, Dave Hoff, I've uh, only seen a big pictures of a few times, but uh, so, so I, don't, uh, know, I know he's a super strong total lifter. He's lifting right now, isn't he? Yeah, he's still lifting. He's totaled, um, how, how many kilos is, oh is 3,100? 3,100 pounds. <laughs> yeah, 3,100 <laughs> pounds. But if you see any pictures, I'm sure it was a very high squat. 14, 1405. Yeah, so fourteen hundred kilos is this total. <laughs> oh, that's uh, that's incredible. But no, but uh, I, I, yeah, it's a beard, has it? Yeah, a little beard. Yeah. I, I think I seen the pictures. So just based on, on the looks, uh, uh, I think that little bitch looks way hotter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, uh, I think. Know, yeah, I mean, we say this every time. You know, it's. There's no bad choice there, but we have to ask everybody. So, yeah. 
Uh, we're going to jump around a little bit, but we, we already talked about Victor Tessov. Do you, um, do you have any thoughts now going back on, you know, 2012 and 2013 when you were pitted against Testov and Konovalov, but Konovalov is still lifting now. You know, what's your feelings on Testov and what happened um, in 2014 when he failed his drug test and what was your reaction? Uh, well, it's always uh, sad when someone, uh, or it's of course correct if, if they're, uh, when they got caught, but it's also sad because, and also especially with Testov because we had a good uh, fight between mm-hmm. us. Uh, on the platform and so it was uh, i was a little bit uh, sad that he was not coming anymore but of yep. course it's it's a reason why he's not coming and that's the correct reason so it's um he had it coming but uh, no but uh, i don't know there was some debate around his his test there always are and they say they are uh, not um they say that are, they are innocent and everything but that's also always also a lie i think but yeah there was debate he was uh, i remember this he was in denmark in uh, for bench bench worlds for, yeah i happen to see him there i i was lucky enough to be at that bench worlds and uh he uh, looked uh, crazy <laughs> and, uh, and uh, but uh, so he was there and he was going to compete but the, that same week he uh, got stopped the results of a out of competition test came in, I think, positive. Yeah. So, um, no, but uh, he did uh, break the rules and got the punishment, and that's all uh, only fair, right? Yeah. So, so I know in Norway, it's like very important to you guys to uh, the anti-doping and to to compete fair and everything. And I think, for the most part, American lifters are on the same page too. You know, unfortunately, I think with the expansion of classic lifting, there's a lot of lifters who, you know, are doing things individually, but you know, for the most part, I think it's good. Um, and I think peach, you know, was talking about this earlier, like in 2014 in Denver, when you finally won your world championship, was there any disappointment that you didn't get to beat Konovalov who was injured that year and Testov who was, um, suspended? Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, I believe the competition would have been much uh, closer and uh, um, uh, tighter fight with those guys there. So um, that was sad. But uh, you know, uh, what can I do about it? Yeah, I think it's an interesting take that you're disappointed that he failed because you relish the competition. It seems like for you, it's more important to have the competition to go head to head and to win. Is that more important to you than the records? Uh, if it's um, a good question, uh, if I had to set the placement, is that what you talk about? Placement versus records? yeah, placement and having a good, having beaten good opponents. Do you feel more accomplished beating good opponents or setting a world record, maybe at Norwegian Nationals where there is no opponents? Uh, well, ju- just first, if the opponent is um, using illegal drugs or steroids. Uh, I feel that they should not be there anyway. So yeah. that, uh, yeah. With it. But no, for me, the competition is the most important, first of all. And then comes uh, records and personal uh, PRs and, and so on. Yes, it's a competition. So yeah, I, yeah. Competition first for me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, out of those guys, I mean, for a few years, I'd say between 2012 and 2014. 
Um, and there was a World Games in there and multiple World Championships where you, Konovalov, and Testov had some very good meets. You know, who do you consider if you had to pick one? Who was the biggest challenger? Who was your biggest rival in your career? Um, well, in, in the beginning, in 11, 12, uh, it was Tesso. He was the best. And uh, I, know, I remember he came pretty shockingly into the scene with a massive total from his local national uh, championship of 11, 50 kilos total or something. But, but then a little bit suddenly, uh, Konovalo came in 2012 and, uh, and uh, I think it was in, in Puerto Rico and, and yep. didn't he win? Yeah. No, he got he he got second place, but I remember watching you guys because that was that was a year that I wasn't there, and I was watching you guys, and I was like, "Who is this guy?" Because I knew about Tessov, and I knew you from um, Junior Worlds, so I did not expect uh, there to be a Russian lifter to squat four sixty, and uh, well, you know, yeah. So, uh, but I, I remember him first time from junior verse in Brazil in 2008 or nine or something. There yeah. he was in a league of his own in, in, in the plus class. And then he was, I don't know, laying low for a few years. Or maybe he transitioned from junior to open. Yeah, yep. he's talking about Conovalo. Yeah. And then he obviously trained well and, and prepared and came back and impressive yeah yeah so one of the things we talk about a lot is Konovalov and how he seemed um to relish in the competition whether it was against you and and Testov or later on against Blaine he always found a way to win uh oh, yeah. you know and that's something we noticed until 2019 where he actually you know was just overtaken by Blaine but it took a long time for somebody to beat him heads up oh. Or head to head, you know, what do you think about how he performed in uh, meets and and how that affected you or or other lifters? Uh, no, but it just uh, proves that he, he and his team is, are uh, well uh, are doing their things well and know know what they do what they are doing and um, it just shows that uh, he's he's good he's, he's a good harvester. Yeah. yeah, that's I think. At, at the time that you were competing, you were still competing against Blaine, but you know he didn't seem like he could pull it together. It wasn't there on the meet days. Um, you know, was he? Were you considering him? Were you, um, you know, scoping him out and doing like? Were you worried about Blaine? And um, you know, do you yeah. think what was the what was the what was the perspective of Blaine in 2012, 2013? Correctly, he he was a little bit uh, in the more in the raw division at that time with the first row. Yeah, he uh, did. Yep, twenty twelve. And also he bumped three times in a row for the national. <laughs> yeah. Team. And the one meet I met him in was Worlds in twenty twelve, and there I don't know if he bumped, but it, it didn't go so well. They lost the bar in Scotland and, and yeah. So well. so, um, uh, but but for uh, I remember before uh, Worlds in in Denver in 2014 is his hometown. Uh, I always thought he, I was going to compete against him, but then he bombed at the nationals. Nationals, yeah. So you got to compete against me instead. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. Oh, there, there I was expecting him to come and, and yeah. really fight, but unfortunately he couldn't. So. Yeah, so our qualifying process here, you can't bomb out of nationals. 
Uh, you yeah, have to yeah. you have to get a total at nationals. Um, I yeah. know it works differently. Um, so we were kind of thinking, and you know, you've been out of competition for well, you know, your peak for a while now. But if you had a favorite lifter of all time, and who who would that be? Uh, very hard uh, of all time. Who are your favorite lifters? You can pick a few. You know. Well, uh, as a super heavyweight lifter myself, when I was younger, I was all very um, uh, interested in or, or fascinated by Brian Siders. Yeah, uh, I was growing up in the junior division, so that's probably the lifter that I was most curious curious about. Same here. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Um, you know, I don't know if you you listen to our episodes where we do then versus now. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we'll start off with um, this is a classic one, but I think it's one of the best ones is Ray Williams versus Mark Henry. You know, at their prime, who do you think wins? <laughs> Good question. Uh, immediately, I, I would say uh, Mark Henry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very little footage and, and photos and videos of him, but uh, the little I've seen, I remember one clip, a video clip from it was I think it's in Texas, in in probably not the Star Center, but together with uh, um, Terry Todd and at uh, the seminar or something where he just squats and deadlifts, I think, in front of a small crowd. Yeah. You see how he picks up the forty-five plate, just one hand, just <laughs> like, a, like a forty-five plate. I remember that, and he just he looked uh, unhumanly strong. But that is what Ray is also unbelievably uh, strong. But but uh, I must say, Mark, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I think Mark too. But what was your reaction? You know, obviously, when you squatted 490 kilos, it was like you know the most amazing lift in in powerlifting history at the time, and you know, obviously, one of the deepest squats, and that was kind of your signature. You know. What was your reaction when Ray Williams squatted 490 kilos, but without a squat suit? Because to me, you know, I was never really a fan of classic lifting, but when I see that, and you know, and I compare it to how amazed I was with you, that, uh, that there was only, you know, I could only be amazed by 490 kilos without knee wraps or a squat suit. So what was your reaction? Mind boggling. Yeah. Almost unbelievable. It's it's just a proof of some incredible strength that he has, and is very unique. But what what impresses me most uh, about him is isn't isn't necessarily the squat, but he, in addition to having the squat, he also has an amazing deadlift, and yeah. his benefit is not the very best. I know he has some problems with elbows and so on, and so I believe his bench would be much higher with that and also maybe with <laughs> some better training yeah <laughs> um, but then no but uh, he, he um, raised um, yeah it's almost indescribable how, yeah how strong. we're gonna talk about the training style later mm. because i i think i know what you're referencing you know with that but you know we'll do one more then versus now one one of our favorites is blaine versus brian siders Maybe I'm I'm colored by my by my young younger. Oh, well, so was I. Fascinating, <laughs> so so I have to say Brian because of the old fascination that I have for for him. Yeah, I think if he had access to some of the equipment we wear today, that uh, 
you know, his bench press, it would be, you know, over 400 kilos. And, you know, the deadlift was always amazing. And, you know, the the squat, there's so much potential there. I know that, you know, lifters like you and I, we wear our equipment very tight where Brian didn't. So I think he, in his prime, if, if he was helped, you know, got some, some tips or kept lifting into a later era, he probably would have been able to total world record totals. Uh, we talked today. about the rule differences too, the yeah. belly bench rule and yeah. all of that. Yeah, a lot yeah, of lifters yeah. struggled. Yeah, I think you also seen. I remember his bench press from the two thousand four Worlds in Cape Town. Is he does a bench press of yeah, three hundred fifty six three fifty yeah three fifty yeah. It's so easy. It's uh, flying. Oh, I think I know what you're referencing. It was, I think it was 360 kilos, and it looked like a very easy lift, and it was red, and it got red lighted, right? Red lighted. Also, the the first and the second lift was somewhere above 300. It's amazingly easy in all the rage X. Yeah, rage X. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you know we'll we'll stop messing around with the comparisons stuff, but you know. You you were talking about training a little, or just reference training a little bit. I wanted you to ask. I wanted to ask you about your relationship with um, Ditmar Wolf, and kind of what that was like. Because we did do some research. We watched some interviews you did um, uh, years back, especially the one you did with the Russians after uh, you totaled twelve hundred in Bulgaria. Um, and it seemed like you you had a great relationship with Ditmar's. But looking back, I wanted to get your take on you know, how that was. And we have some follow-up questions, but if you can just talk about that a little bit, that'd be good. Yeah, he, he was my trainer, not from the start of, uh, another guy was my trainer in the first junior years, but they they cooperated and uh, had the same philosophy. But uh, Dietmar was my trainer uh, in the end of my junior career and uh, in, the, in, in the rest of my career. And he was a very good trainer, uh, super... Uh, I was super happy to have him as a trainer and everything worked well and we had a good relationship and uh, we live very close so we trained together a lot and uh, yeah everything was good. Yeah so I remember having a conversation with Ditmars and um, you know at the time I was training you know four to five times a week and now I train three to four times a week because you know we're as we get older we have to work and all the stresses of trying to live a normal life and powerlifting life. But Didmar told me that I should at, at minimum be training six times a week. And uh, it still sounds like you train pretty frequently, even though you're not competing. Uh, but one of my questions was, do you think the training frequency, you know, was the best part or, you know, the worst part? Do you, do you think that it attributed to any injuries or anything like that, training six, seven times a week? Obviously, it's more taxing on the body and, and, and uh, increases the, in, in some way, not necessarily directly, but increases the risk for injuries and everything. But when talking about frequency, you know, what is frequency? Is it because the way I see training is it's not only frequency, it's also volume and mm-hmm. intensity. So you have to look at all those three parameters together. But, but because frequency can be you can train every day, but how much do you lift on each of those days? It doesn't necessarily have to be so much. So it's it's it's, it's not that easy. You can only only look at frequency. But I, I do I do in some way believe in high frequency training. But 
If it is too much, it's too much, and then that won't work either. So it's a balance, and it's a hard balance to find. And uh, yeah, that's how it is. In, do you, yeah, do you feel that, you know, your training was balanced or do you feel like it pushed you to the point where it, you know, you, you had issues with your knees and your chest at some points? Do you think, you know, those were external factors or, or was it because the training was, you were so close to the edge a lot of the time? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I wish I knew, but um, obviously, obviously it's, it's, uh, I pushed it too far as I'm sitting here, retired and injured. But um, but uh, and I don't think uh, you know it, it must have been the sum of, of a lot of training and, and lifting. What else can it be? Yeah, I I think it fascinates us because you know as American lifters we we train how we want, right? So if we're injured, we can stop training. Um, it seems like in most other countries where there's a dedicated powerlifting program or a national team that's more unified that you really didn't have a choice. You had to train under Dittmar or you were not part of the team. Is that true? Yeah, that, that is in some way true. But also with Dittmar or with, or with older coaches, everybody has a dialogue or should have a dialogue and a dialogue. Yeah, yep. conversation, yep. Conversation, yeah, and and the, the coach, the trainer, all of course must or should listen to the lifter and and, and uh, custom the, the training program to that. But you know, if if you are going to um, listen to or all your pains and problems uh, all the time too much, then you can just stop training right away. Because yeah. you can never train. So it's a it's a balance. And that, as I said before, that balance is it's very it's a thin line and. Um, yeah. Yeah. No power lifter is ever completely healthy. <laughs> yeah. We we like to make fun of the lifters who talk about pain free lifting because yeah. I haven't been pain free in ten years, but I've been able to have fun and train. Yeah. So well, yeah. So we're a little bit more curious about um, your specific injury. If it was your knee injury that really was the big problem for you, it seems. Um, oh. You know, where did that come from? Was it an existing injury from like previous years I mean, you know you were a snowboarder and you did you know extreme sports or was it just um just an issue genetically or or how did that happen uh well i think this is a boring and already told a thousand times story so i don't know <laughs> anymore but to, to, to say the short story uh, my knees have always been troublesome in yeah. in young playing here the snowboard uh, soccer everything but yeah uh, what happened was in uh, for in training for uh, 2014 worlds uh, in uh, i remember it was six weeks before worlds uh, i injured it uh, uh, acute 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 yeah acute yeah uh, in training but it's, it's probably a build up uh, but then the, the pain happened suddenly and i went right away and took the mri picture and it showed that the, the diagnosis is, is it is a con, con, um, specific, but it's a little diffuse. It's, it's called uh, quadricep tendinosis. It's not ten, it's different from tendon, tendonitis. It, mm -hmm. Tendinosis is um, chronic degenerative um, mm -hmm. on the tendon. Uh, but anyway, I, I trained and proceeded to Worlds, and after that, I was come back home and started to train for uh, Europeans the next spring, uh, spring uh, May yep. 2015. But during that winter with a lot of pain in, in training and suddenly came a new uh, 
uh, hard uh, hit, and then it was completely stopped. Yeah. I knew around with MRI, the best doctors, and then six weeks completely off to try to heal it, and then start back up and didn't work. And then I went, uh, I maintained the body weight and tried and tried and tried for one and a half year or something, and then I just um, made a decision that uh, wasting my time where this won't help. I tried everything, then then decided to retire then yeah i I think i think we were all disappointed when we found out you know that you decided to stop competing you know i remember the build up to 2015 and 2016 and you know we're all already looking forward to the next world games and you were like you were like uh the big photo banner there was a big silhouette of you uh to advertise for the world games and and you know thinking you would be there and probably had the best shot to win that meet. Um, but you know, that was unfortunate, but, uh, I think it might be boring for you, but I think a lot of the, uh, American listeners we have want to hear a lot of the stuff about your injuries and training. Um, and you know, that's, that's obviously terrible, but you know, I think we all knew to some degree, but I think it was good to get specifics. Cause I remember being in Denver in 2014 and hearing, Oh, Carl might not compete or, this and that, and I remember you squatting the bar, and uh, you had your knee wraps on, and I was like, "Yeah, that looks pretty, <laughs> pretty tough." But I think that just shows how amazing that four ninety squat was. So, and also the three ninety three ninety deadlift still. <laughs> um, and you know, this is something we were talking about earlier, and you know me, I've been to a lot of international meets, and um, I've watched uh, the Norwegian team for years, and one thing I noticed is that um. You know, and why we want to ask about Ditmars a lot, because other than you, you were always very successful with all your attempts. But there were many meets where many Norwegian lifters bombed out. Yeah. You know, why? I think the training, was it just, did you have another level of training that not everybody else was getting? Or did, are you just that much more successful on the platform where I watched, especially in 2016, Everybody was trying to qualify for World Games, right? You oh. know, and there were three or four big bomb outs that I can remember. Um, oh. And Ditmars was very upset. You know, what do you think about the the, the way that the meet, the attempt selection was done at that international events? Uh, well, uh, I believe they all did as uh, did their best, and uh, not uh, always are you looking. Um, it's it's hard to say. I, I cannot say that anything, yeah. anyone anything wrong. Uh, obviously, uh, obviously, over the times there have been many wrong attempt calls. Uh, mm-hmm. Not only it's bomb outs, but also other that that's uh, human mistakes that happens. But uh, happens to me know, every meet. Not <laughs> <laughs> every, but uh, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Um, and you know, another thing me and um, Peach notice is that and I saw this at a few meets, that after a Norwegian lifter had completed the meet, they would go into the warm-up room and lift heavier. Was that meaning that the lifter was upset that they did not get to attempt a certain weight, or was it um, Ditmars trying to see, you know, what what the limitations were? I think this uh, must have been the lifter's choice and, and wish to do that. I cannot see it. <laughs> do that. No, no, that must be the lifter's okay. choice. Yeah. Okay. I was just kind of wondering, um, oh. do you think that uh, 
you know, the lifters in the lighter weight classes might have had like a harder time with the training because uh, it seems like a lot of the guys in the lighter weight classes were having a hard time making second and third attempts at the meet. Do you think maybe cutting weight wasn't accounted for, you know, stuff like that? Of course, in the lighter weight class, you have that issue also that, um, for example, me and the super didn't have to worry about. Uh, but yeah. that's not exactly true. It's a, it's a big job keeping the body weight up. So it's not. I think that's also is hard, but the, but the, the maybe more psychologically it, it's harder in the in the nine to three or something to to so that's maybe a factor. But uh, no, um, sorry, what was the question again? No, just like uh, just like was the tr- was the training uh, like working towards the uh, I, peak I think... for the competition? Maybe for the lighter weight guys, they didn't factor Carl, in I, I think strength. The, the I think guy. the more important question is, you know. What, what was the heaviest um, training squat you ever did? Yeah, because that, there, there, there is a difference. As a heavier lifter, you you lift uh, because you cannot take take so much training as a to um, what do you call to come back after training. Yeah, recovery. Recovery. Yep. Recovery. Uh, it's harder for a big guy. So, so this, the, as you ask, the smaller lifters maybe have pushed harder closer to the limits in yeah. training uh, and affect the, the meat they uh well, the performance i think but, yeah i think for uh, me and you like for lifters like me or you and i've discovered this about myself is that if i'm aiming to squat 460 you know in the gym maybe i'll squat 435 mm-hmm. and and yeah. the psychological there is a psychological aspect to that because then all of a sudden on the day of the competition you have 25 more kilos mm-hmm. um but you know, and I, I've heard. Have you ever squatted over four fifty in the gym? Yeah, I have. But my heaviest squat ever in the gym, I think it's uh, four hundred and sixty-five kilos. Okay. But the, most of them were under a thousand pounds. So, uh, so I, uh, my training lifts compared to competition lifts are, are very light. Yeah, I just think we were talking earlier, and I think that works very well for bigger guys, but maybe. Well, you know, that was an issue with gaps between opener and third attempts with, with lighter people if the, the training was stayed the same throughout all lifters. Yes, I, I agree also, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, I know all you three are well, well known with mathematics. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and so that is only, a, a, I don't know what to say, I think, but that is only a, a scaling factor. Mm-hmm. So, of course, the difference between my uh, around thousand pound training squad and and uh, and uh, four ninety competition squad that that is let's say small percentage important. yeah yeah and that same percentage is actually the same percentage ten, ten kilos uh, ten kilos for someone uh, else yeah in mathematically that's the the percentage is much the same but psychologically they are very much closer and that that I think can be a factor as you yeah say. true. I think, I think where I was trying to get at with my question was, uh, yeah. so let's say that, um, you know, you're before the competition in the gym, you're going to do 465 to prepare for 490. And let's say someone in a lighter weight class takes the same weights percentage wise, but they don't account for the weight cut. And now that weight that they thought was 90, 95% is now a hundred percent. You know what I'm saying? So do you think that like, uh, you know, the training that Dittmar put those guys through, did he, do you think he accounted for that? Or was that more on the lifter to figure out for themselves? Carl doesn't care. 
<laughs> I'm just kind of wondering, you know what I Carl mean? Was, like, I, I want to know the procedure of how the team works. Carl was eating. Yeah, I was eating. I didn't pay that. No, but, no, but I, I agree with you. That may be something that the trainer or coach didn't take to uh, well care of. And also, as you say, that the weight cut and that will affect the, the suits, the tightness of the suits. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and I think also carryover. We've talked a little bit about carryover, but I think um, your body fat it has a big factor in the carryover and how much elastic energy you can get out of the gear. So it may be a little bit higher for bi- bigger lifters. I was also. I, yeah, I agree. But then again, there you have the, the thing with scaling. <laughs> you have the scaling factors. Yeah, scaling and also that the, there's a difference between the super heavyweight and, and 83. Mm-hmm. But then again, they aren't competing together. Right? They're in, so every in, in 83 is the same. So, so that. Yeah. The difference shouldn't really be so much, I would think, but psychologically, it, it, it obviously can be. Yeah. Well, to talk about carryover a little bit, um, mm-hmm. you're curious um, what, you know, what your carryover was. What were your best raw lifts um, and, and carryover and which lifts, you know, I, know I, I think I know that you wore the deadlift suit quite tight and you got a, a good amount from that. But uh, I'm curious, like, what were your best uh, training lifts raw and all t- your PRs equipped? Okay, first to be fair to to, to be fair to all the raw lifters, uh, I must say that all my lifts are not in competition. They are training. I never competed raw. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, it's not. It's not. Yeah. But my best, my highest t- uh, raw spot is uh, actually uh, 322.5 kilos. That is exactly 700 pounds, I think. Yeah. That is the most I ever did uh, raw. Uh, and the bench press, I did 262.5 kilos wow. uh, well, in training, but uh, the, the, uh, both the squat and, and uh, bench and also the deadlift that I will mention now, were, they were clean lifts. We've, we've, seen, we've seen a yeah. 315 kilo squat in uh, just your underwear. Yeah, speedo. <laughs> <laughs> that, was very, that was very fast, and I, you know, I estimate you squat well over 350 kilos if you wanted to. Yeah, and uh, I will mention it soon. I will just say the deadlift first. But uh, but as I said, all the lifts are, are pretty clean. They they may, for example, the bench, the stop with the referee calling the the signal, maybe. Uh, yeah, press maybe. command. But I do believe that my lifts were clean then. But uh, and the deadlift is, I think it is three hundred and thirty-five kilos. But what I must say about all the lifts, uh, well, the bench press was recent uh, in the end of my career, but both the squat and the deadlift was many years ago, I think in 2010 or 11 or something. So I do like to believe that I had a lot more in the tank when I was at my strongest in 14. But uh, yeah, that's the lift. Yeah, I don't think anybody questions that your lifts were clean. You know, that was that was the aura of Carling Var. <laughs> yeah, no. There's always a difference between uh, how long stop you think you had and, and how long stop you yeah. had. I mean, how long the stop actually is, but uh, I, I took video of it and it was a good bit. So do you think um, Do you think if you, you know, without injuries and you were still competing, because, you know, you're still young, do you think you would compete classic if you had the opportunity now? For me, powerlifting is equipped. I must just say that I, I grew up on in a time like you when it was the only Ben Rod in existence. I, I'm 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 
ten times more interested in 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 weightlifting than rowlifting, I must say. But but then again, I love lifting, I love lifting weights, I love strength, so I'm interested in raw too. But for for me, probably would have been mostly equipment. I think. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, rowlifting sucks. We can just go <laughs> ahead and say that on a but I can say. Oh, no. I'm I'm very impressed with your badge of honor of never competing raw because yeah. I have competed raw and I could tell you that it's pretty boring. <laughs> there's not much fun in raw lifting where, you know, in between attempts equipped, there's a lot of drama or there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of pressure. Um, you know, lifting classic for us, you know, it was uh, fun. It was relaxing. It was like, easier than training it's like training yeah so (laughs) yeah so um i think i know the answer but um can you talk to us about how you preferred your equipment and you know from what i saw you liked very extremely tight equipment and you liked your equipment to be new every meet um can you talk about anything specific because we you know we do a little segment here called gear talk and we try to talk about how we wear our equipment because there are a lot of people trying to equip lifting they don't know how to wear their equipment yet well there's just different schools of thought so it's interesting to see how different people different countries wear their Hmm. equipment yeah it's interesting and uh well I think, or my philosophy is that uh, equipped lifting uh, is very easy, not easy to perform, but in, in theory it's easy. It's it, the same force that is, for example, in bench press, the same force that is holding you back from touching with the suit is the same force that is going to help you out. So the tighter, the better. Um, but two exceptions, of course, you have to be able to touch or to reach depth or to reach the bar in the lift. That is the one exception. Uh, and also, uh, it has it, it cannot go too much much on the it cannot push your form or technique too much out of the way. A little you have to give with the tight equipment, but uh, if it is too much pushing your technique in a bad direction, it's it's too tight. But up into those two levels, reaching that and maintaining most of the technique. As tight as possible. That's uh, what's going to help. That, that's my philosophy. And also, you uh, you said uh, I like new new suits for each meet, and uh, I had to break them in a little bit in a few few lifts. But the the material but material of the suit gets uh, softer when used a lot. Yeah. That was centurion gets much softer when used six seven times. Do you and, guys do you guys um, alter your equipment at all? Yeah, I cannot speak for everybody, but me and Manny and I do that. We alter and tighten the, the in the suits, the, the straps up here, and also the the waist and the bench press, uh, the, the, the sleeves, arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah to, to make it tighter and as close to your, your limit. Yeah. In, in like the, say like the eight weeks leading up to uh, a world championship, how many times did you squat in your equipment? weeks that is much in, in, in but but uh, let's say for a for a competition prep uh, i would probably squat was a squat you asked about yes or? yeah just as I an hope. example yeah well it's hard to i don't remember but uh pretty often uh, maybe every other week every other week or three weeks in, in long before the meet and, and, and the last uh not more than at least uh, or not 
less than two and a half, three weeks before. But that wasn't the heaviest. The heaviest had to come a little bit before that also. Yeah. It was a lot of technique training also with the gear. Yeah, I, th- I think that's interesting because a lot of lifters now are, if they're equipped lifters, they're like, well, I should lift in my equipment all the time. And and that's every week. And that's not what we do. But I think it, a lot of people are following. They want to be so specific to the competition lifts that they always lift in equipment. Um, but I think, you know, I know that you guys did not lift that way. And you also mentioned taking your heaviest lifts three, four weeks ahead of time. You know, I think that is a problem in training now where people are taking their heaviest lifts too close to the competition. So I don't, are you yeah. observing these things as you are a fan of lifting? Yeah, and it's a shame to know you prepare and do so well for so many weeks, maybe half a year, many months training, and then you ruin it all with with uh, blowing your your performance, your your recovery or what I should say with, with the two close to the meat lifting it's, it's, it's a shame but uh, uh, but also about the, the lifting frequency with gear you know it's it's, it's important to practice with the gear because it's it's difficult to lift with gear but it's also t- very taxing on the body because you obviously use much more weight than you can handle and that is taxing on the body so you, you must be careful not to push that too much either but uh, a smart way is, is to practice with a little looser equipment and so on but uh, you also need practice with the tight equipment and, and mm-hmm. that is that is uh, that that you cannot do too much it's too much it's too <laughs> packed yeah. what's what's the uh what's the most reps what's the most repetitions you've ever done in one set in your equipment uh, in, in the later years i only did uh, singles in, in the equipment <laughs> yeah yeah uh, maybe a bench press to board two or three reps on a little bit lighter weights in the yeah. sets, but no, one, only one rep mostly yeah. in India. Yeah, yeah, that's something I'm, I'm seeing a lot now is sets of five, six, seven, eight in equipment, which I know ruins the equipment. So we never do that, but it's something yeah, I'm seeing now. But overall, I'm glad that more people are trying equipment. Oh yeah, yeah, that's uh, positive. Yeah. So what another thing we wanted to talk about was. Um, it seems like you've been uh, assisting or coaching the junior national team for a little bit. But what is your level yeah. of involvement in the Norwegian powerlifting now? Yeah, I, I'm very involved in powerlifting. But to answer the, the, the first question, um, there's a, I, I think it's an important, important difference between what, the, what is coaching. Many people think that coaching is being the coach on the meet day and they say they are a coach. And maybe that's a term and, and that's correct. But in my opinion, that's not a coach. That, or let's say that's a one meet day coach. Mm-hmm. But a coach, my, when I think of a coach, that is like like Dietmar or whatever, the coach and lifted the whole year with, uh, what do you say, programming and everything. And I, I'm only for some few local people here, I've been a full year around coach, but I, I usually am not that. But I have helped out the older uh, Norwegian coaches at meets, being a meet day coach. I've been many times and a lot with them, with the juniors especially. And I really enjoy that and uh, and uh, have been doing that uh, a lot of few years and I'm also a, a referee and an international referee now and I'm also I'm the leader of my local club uh, leader and 
I am a vice president of the, uh, the national Norwegian National Powerlifting Federation. So I, I'm oh. very involved in nice. these things. Wow. So, so by now, I'm sure you're you're um, aware of the announcement today that uh, IPF Open Worlds was going to be in Stavanger is now postponed to next year. Um, yeah. Were you involved? Were you involved in the preparation for this competition? I know for Joe, it was one of his favorite. Uh, world meets it's still ever. the best meet we did because you got uh, the loud techno music yeah there's music and <laughs> lights and the, the live stream and cameraman and everything so i mean it's uh very sad news but i think it's good news that it's going to just be postponed and it will still be there next year what uh what was going on in the preparations for this um were you involved in that and um can you talk about yeah. that yeah, I've been a little bit involved. Mostly, this is a, an, an old committee down in that region, that are the Stavanger area, that are, uh, but also they are working very close with us in the Federation. So, uh, so we have this, discussed this many times, but uh, uh, this has more been a, um, a, um, communication or, or between IPF and that committee down there, the organizing committee. But uh, I think they, uh, I think IPF waited almost too long. They should have taken this decision much earlier, and it's the right decision. And I support it. It's, it's sad, but uh, what worlds would this have been with just a few nations, right? It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. With yeah. so the correct decision to postpone it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah we all saw it coming, and we were talking. Um, there's a listener, uh, Morton. Morton Middleton. He's yeah. he said he's on the committee. Um, mm. But yeah, we're we're sad about it. But we we agree that we are expecting this to happen. Um, but yeah, we're happy. We're happy at least it will be there next year. Yeah. yeah, I think it's it's great for the World Games qualifier to be in Stavanger rather than Ukraine, yeah. because I'm sure the meet in Ukraine will be good quality. But I think the best quality was Stavanger. I still remember, you know, the quality of the accommodations. Um, the food, the uh, the warm up room or warm up area, um, the control of the warm up area where they, there wasn't a million people back there. You had to scan in, you know that was good because then there was room for us to do what we needed to do. Um, there wasn't people training back there and and stuff when they weren't supposed to. And you know the music and then the banquet. The banquet, the food was good. There was free alcohol, which is always isn't the case. So yeah. I vote Stavanger all the way. <laughs> uh, free alcohol, I can guarantee you that if it would be Ukraine, it would be free alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we. <laughs> but no, but I, I very much agree, and I, I am not, I do not doubt, doubt at all that the, the politicking part of Ukraine would wouldn't make a good uh, competition. But uh, the problem would be the rest of the country and the city, and uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, we shared some vodka with the Ukrainian team many times. Good time. <laughs> what What was your yeah. least favorite uh, place to compete? Was it Was it in Colombia in the heat or? Well, interesting question. Uh, well, uh, I, yeah, I can say Colombia, but that isn't just because of the, the environment and the city. That that is also colored by my own performance because my performance there was was bad. Yeah. So, but they. Worst, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe Colombia, but not because of the facility, yeah. uh, because that was great, but it was a bad meet for me. Bad. First, but uh, I haven't 
Maybe, maybe uh, 2014, but you probably remember that in a good light. Yeah, I, that was a little bit special because there was a long distance between mm -hmm. the, the area and the Warners. That, that sucked, but the, other than that, it was a nice hotel, nice city, and yeah. Yeah, I think walking up the stairs. No, I think me, <laughs> Carl, and, and Hans Magna Bartved were stuffed yeah. in the elevator in our squat suits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, just, uh, to take that as, as an example, I think I just uh, talked about before also, but you know, you only have 20 minutes minutes uh, between squat and uh, bench uh, that we had at that time. And, you know, after the last squat and then to go, as a, to count minutes, or you only had like, in then 12 minutes or something to work. Yeah, it's very hard. Yeah. That that happened to me in 2017 where I, you know, I should have won the world championship after Kanavalov bombed out, but I uh you had to walk a decent distance uh to get to the warm-up room and you know, the way I lift, I'm usually near near the end of squats, especially yeah. if you're yeah. you or Blaine are not there. I'm near the end and I'm in the beginning of bench. Um, and so I really was pressed and I, I, um, I missed my first attempt and I had to retake it because there was a problem with the command. So then I had to take, take it again a few minutes later and I was very, very tired and exhausted and it just kind of snowballed and I ended up not making a lift. And it's one of my biggest regrets because that was the closest I ever came to winning, um, a world championship, but you know, maybe, maybe soon. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, and I think another thing we want to ask you about coaching um, is uh, hopefully you heard our episode with uh, Bonica. Um, yeah. What's in your what is one weird item you have in your fanny pack when you coach <laughs> or when you when you meet day coach? Weird item. <laughs> I don't have any. I'm sorry, I don't have any. <laughs> you yeah, keep it standard. Uh, yeah, I keep it standard. But the, what I do have is uh, is uh, a strap for the knee wraps and uh, her food. Uh, yeah. No, sorry, I don't have any. No, no, no pack of smokes. No, no smoke. Yeah, no, no, oh, no sunglasses. No, uh, no, no, sorry. <laughs> do you do anything that if a lifter needs to be like hyped up or motivated, do you do anything special? Smack no, them? Nah, yeah, I can, uh, you know, squeeze their necks and ears. And, but <laughs> I try to just talk uh, or first of all I, I try to do what they want me to do because it's their day and I'm only there to help but I try to speak and talk and motiv motivate them in the, the best I can that's my only my only my only goal is to is that they succeed so I just um, do whatever yeah. they want yeah do you think you know you know because it sounds like you really truly love powerlifting um you know and for us we've been involved I've been powerlifting for 12 years and there's been refereeing, coaching. I coach my old university, you know, so there is a point of, you know, we do special Olympics. We try to give back, but we're also trying to compete for you. Do you think your legacy will be more of like the four or five years that you were one of the best lifters on the planet? Or do you think it will be more as, uh, uh, like a, like a, just a great person for the sport in Norway and now internationally? Uh, <laughs> Well, uh, I really don't care about much about legacy in, in any way, but I do like to 
believe that, uh, or I do hope that I can contribute in, in many, many ways, but uh, not for anybody else than myself, actually. I mean, I like to help, but I enjoy this helping. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I must say it's for, for my own part that I enjoy yeah. spending doing this. And But if others can have uh, joy from it or, or have... Uh, it's good if it is good for others it's uh, it's a bonus and I, I hope that of course yeah yeah that's great I, I think just personally for me like when I help other lifters whether it be their training or on meet day I'm more emotionally invested in say Alex's performance where I would actually cry if something went really great or for me where I've done this so many times and I'm kind of numb to success and failure where I don't get as emotional as compared to helping someone else. So I think there is a lot of value in helping other lifters that it, 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 it gives me more adrenaline than lifting on my own sometimes. I agree for me too. Yeah. So, um, we just have a couple last questions and we'll go around, but I just want to know what do you, you know, there's, we've talked about so many moments that you've had. What do you think your highest moment of your career was? Oh, that must be the Open World Champion first place in 2014. That was a very a good day for me. My highest total, obviously, and the, uh, everything. And also, uh, I think uh, the same year I did 1200 for the first time. That was uh, special um, to do that for me. And uh, but uh, yeah, no, uh, worlds, winning world, Open World is. Of course, the biggest. Yeah, moment. sorry we didn't ha- we didn't have free alcohol in the USA. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's not fun. <laughs> yeah, what about you guys? You wanna? Well, I think um, we've talked a lot and we've left a lot of clues, but I, I'm giving you the opportunity now to uh, announce your who you are on Instagram. <laughs> are you spi- are you spicy PL memes? Yeah, Joe has asked me this already. No, I, I'm not. I'm honestly, I'm not. But what is uh, honesty on the internet? So you can say whatever you want, right? But uh, I don't know if you believe me or not. But no, it's not me. And as, as I said to Joe, I am I am very sure that it's ha- it has to be an English or American person because of the language seems so good. It, it cannot be, uh, you know, me and other Norwegians or Europeans, we can speak pretty good, but it's not the same. I don't know. Are you covering I'm for with somebody? You. No, no, no. Do you I'm know? with Carl. What is honesty on the internet? But you know, um, I, I, I believe it must be an uh, American or English person. Yeah, so you follow? You follow? You enjoy the memes? Yeah, yeah they are funny. Very funny. Uh, so uh, I think it's cool. Yeah, yeah I think, you know... Uh, when you do the interviews with us and interviews we've seen before, you're very humble. You know, you're a great person. You're a great conversation. But uh, I think a lot of people don't know the type of humor you enjoy and that, uh, you know, but you kind of keep your personal life very personal. So that's okay. We won't tell everybody what your Instagram handle is, but uh, I was glad I was able to contact you because you're hard to contact if you don't know the secret Instagram handle. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Pete, you have any last questions for Carl? Um, yeah, this is kind of like maybe a boring question, but uh, so one of the things that I think about you as being like one of the best lifters ever is you're super talented, but do you think like some of it is mindset? Because we had Blaine on and he's got like this wall of hate and he just like wants to beat everybody's like numbers. It's not even about the competition. He just wants to like show he's the best or whatever. So like did you have that kind of a mindset or are you, you know, just kind of focus on 
yourself and just trying to get better? Uh, good question. Um, I think there's a difference between, for example, Blaine and me. There are a little differences, but I am very competitive. And I, in the heat of the moment, I really want to kill the next guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but uh, I think maybe I'm a little bit more cooler on 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 that uh, maybe but uh, but it, it's very important to and one of my biggest uh, was my biggest training motivation was to beat the the next guy or, or the other guys Conor Tesla John Blaine everybody so uh, I'm a little bit like that I also uh, me also yeah all right you have any questions for us anything you want to know. <laughs> Yeah, me and Alex live here. It's in the basement, so it's a little dark down here, but we like to do the podcast down here um, because we kind of have a privacy down here. Um, and Peach comes over to train with us. He lives pretty close. So it's our little lifting club for now because our, you know, our lifting club is open, but um, our, where we usually go, but we just feel like um, it's not safe yet in the USA to go to the gym. So. Is, uh, your club is Bay State, right? Yeah, we train at Bay State. Is it, uh, uh, it seems like a very solid club, right? It's a, very, it's a very, very good club. We have um, not only myself, we have Kelsey McCarthy, who's two-time world champion. We have Eric Kupperstein, who's many-time classic and, and master world champion, equipped and classic. Uh, we have Monet Bland. She's a... Um, a uh, bronze medalist in the open championship world championship 2018 and a deadlift gold medalist so we have a lot of really good uh international lifters but we're and we're we say we were an equipped club first yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is rare here yeah but a little bit because i was asking was just uh, i hope that when the covid is over and everything i hope that you will move back to base and, yeah and, and keep keep the club club. yeah it's important to us it's important to us you know it's it's been hard for the club owner um Mm. but you know we we did we did find some funds for the club owner to try and help out and uh you know we're just waiting until we think you know it's safe it's really it's really tough here right now because the u.s is uh leading the world in cases (laughs) yeah no but why I want to say that more about this is because I, I see a, a very um, a challenge to, to powerlifting in, in, in Norway, in, and most of, a lot of it has to do with the lifting that the, the club, the old powerlifting club, either equipped or, or, or not equipped, whatever, but it, it, that's important. Um, the, the importantness of that club yes. is losing. It, losing its importantness because now you can do powerlifting in, 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 the, in the local gyms. You know, 10, 15 years ago, you were not welcomed in, in, a, local, in a local gym as a powerlifter. There wasn't mm-hmm. with uh, magnesium, with, with heavy lifts, but no, heavy lifting is popular. So you can do powerlifting almost everywhere. So, uh, and that is an issue both for, for powerlifting and the, and the knowledge that goes into powerlifting training. It's a little bit different from uh, Planet Fitness and so on. But 
and also the and this is very important i think and also the the drug anti-doping anti-drug aspect yeah that is very uh, at least in my club and in, in the norwegian club it's very uh, high anti-doping standard in the clubs and that's not the same in, in yeah. gym so i think it's very important that we keep the yeah, I, I think even even before COVID here, you know, something we've talked about before is the trend in powerlifting now is uh, classic lifters. They're able to train individually without spotters, without club mates. So, you know, powerlifting is becoming very individualized and there's Instagram and you can train by yourself. And um, it's, you know, when, when we started lifting, we we sought out each other so we can train as a team. And we travel together and we live together and we eat together. Yeah. But uh, I think powerlifting now that you could become a popular lifter without having any caring for anyone else or collaborating with anyone else that it's very bad for the sport. Um, you do see some amazing lifts and we always give credit to the lifters. But uh, the culture of powerlifting, especially in the U.S., since we're 90 percent classic, you know, yeah. on the national level, it's, it's the culture is very poor. Yeah, and uh, and more, we must think long ahead, and and for the long ahead perspective, sure you have uh, amazing one one lifts, uh, sing, uh, amazing performances here and there, but in the long term to keep uh, coming more and more, uh, yeah, in the long future it's very important to maintain Bay State or Brumendal or whatever mm -hmm. as strong. Environment or well, whatever. it's funny because, you know, our club, Bay State and the people and we joke around this a lot is the equipped lifters because we're always all together. We're the ones who run all the competitions. So without the equipped lifting, there would be no classic competitions because yeah. no one would referee. No one would, uh, you know, spot and load, spot and load. We're, we're the equipped lifters who are in the clubs are the ones yeah. who care and and run the events for the the classic lifters to come and enjoy yeah and there's some degree of organization as well it doesn't seem that classic has as much of an organization mm -hmm. no all because you lose the close organization and that is important that people know and recognize and respect that or what i should, should say yeah. I think that's that's awesome to hear from you that's you know that you're concerned about you know the club powerlifting on the club level which is kind of like what we call grassroots right here yeah so you know it's been a real pleasure um getting to see you at the last i think two world champion or uh, um i saw you in 2018 in sweden and we had a nice yeah. conversation and you know I, I haven't been lifting great but you help try to help me and motivate me and i was excited to see you this year um but you know, hopefully, we'll all see you next year in person. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Great. Well, I mean, we loved having you on. We really appreciate this. I I know you haven't done a lot of these, so we obviously we appreciate you listen to the podcast and and seem to enjoy it. So we hope to keep it funny for you. But uh, you know, we had a great time. So thank you. Thanks, Carl. Yeah. Thank you. Too. Have a nice evening. Thanks. You too. All right. All right. Bye, Carl. All right. See bye. you.